Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. There are moments in life where certainty matters, when being sure matters. Last summer, my wife Abby and I had the opportunity to take a trip to Italy and Greece, and one of the things we did in Greece, based on the recommendation of a friend, was we visited Meteora which is this incredible place in central Greece. It has these incredible rock formations where that name literally means elevated or suspended in the air. And it's named this because of these monasteries that are sitting, six of them are sitting at the top of these cliffs, these rock formations that jut straight out of the ground, an average of 1,000 feet up to 1,800 feet right from the ground. And so we went to see, not only see these monasteries that are dating back to roughly the 12th century and beyond, but we also decided we were going to do some hiking and rock climbing, mild rock climbing, more scrambling. And so you can see I actually have a picture from the highest point that we hiked to. And you can see on the left side, you're looking down the roughly 1,000 feet or so to the village below. And on the right, you can see our guide. And our guide is diligently working to make sure that our harnesses are on correctly, that we've got our helmets, that the ropes are are tethered to our harness and to the clip that's tied into a bolt that is in the rock. All of this so that on the the next picture, we could lean out from the edge of the rock as if we're about to fly. It was awesome. See, there are moments in life when certainty matters. This was one of those moments, (laughs) right? To be certain that the ropes were in fact going to hold, that our harnesses were working appropriately, that that our guide actually knew what he was doing as he was tethering us to this rock. There's moments in life when certainty matters, yet so much of life is uncertain, isn't it? So much of what happens in the world is uncertain. We can think so easily about so many things that come up. Every time you face a question of next steps, what college are you going to go to? Are you going to go to college? Are you going to look for a new job? Are you going to take the new job when it's offered? Are you going to move if that's what the new job requires? Or times when that sickness or illness comes up, you're trying to figure it out, you've got all sorts of experts, can't seem to pin it down, is the treatment going to work? There's times in your life where a friend turns on you, will they apologize? Will they come back? Will your marriage heal? Wars that continue to pop up all over the world, will I have enough money to, to pay the rent, to eat, to retire? We won't mention that it's an election year. All of our choices, the choices that our children make, 
the choices that your grandchildren make. So many things in life that are uncertain. Can we be certain in the midst of the uncertainties? See, that's what the series that we're starting today is all about, series that we're calling Certain in the Uncertainty. It's about our need for certainty, for something that we can be sure of in the midst of the world that is full of uncertainty. Hebrews 11.1 actually defines faith. It says it this way, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. (laughs) How our eyes can so easily see all of the uncertainties, can't they? But faith, faith is inviting us to see certainty when everything else is uncertain. And so for the next weeks, we're going to be in this series, and we're going to be following parts of the life of a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah. We're going to be walking through Genesis chapter 18 through 22. And along the way, we're going to see their very real struggles those ups and downs of life. We're going to see their humanity, and we're going to learn about faith, about being certain in the uncertainty. And so this morning, we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 18. I invite you, if you want, you can follow along on the screen. But let's listen as God speaks his word to each of us this morning. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. They're in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old? Will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather this morning with a confidence. A confidence that you're here. A confidence that you will speak. 
And so, Lord, give us the grace to hear and to respond so that we can be filled with more and more faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we could spend really an entire message unpacking the reality of Abraham's incredible hospitality, right? These three strangers interrupt his day. They show up unannounced, don't even ask for anything, and yet Abraham rushes off to do everything he can to honor them, tripping over himself to make sure that their needs are taken care of, that they're comfortable, that they're encouraged. All of this invites us to consider for ourselves what does hospitality really look like? In your home, in school, at work, even when you're here in worship, what does it mean to be that hospitable? And we could unpack that for quite a while, but we're going to allow that to just sit even as you'll walk out to, to consider it in your own life. Because here's the thing, when you are hospitable, the writer of Hebrews tells us we actually don't know who it is that we're hosting. We might be hosting an angel, we're told. We might be hosting Jesus, who said, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. But whoever we're hosting, we can't actually know how God is going to use that interaction and that moment in our lives. And he used this moment of hospitality in a profound way. In the midst of the uncertainty for Abraham and Sarah, in the midst of it, right there in the meal, at one point, one of the guests speaks up and asks, so where's your wife, Sarah? And, and I don't think this is really a question about her physical location because she's right there in the tent behind him. I'm like, I think he probably knew. I think this was more a question that was like, where's your wife's heart? Where, where's your wife's faith? And we see that that's probably what was meant because they're about to really meddle in some of her greatest pain and uncertainty. Abraham doesn't actually get it, and so he's like, well, she's there in the tent. Typical man, right? But the Lord then makes this incredible promise. He says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. To really grasp the impact and the enormity of this moment, we have to realize that this actually was not the first time God had promised Abraham a son. As a fact, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 12 to see the first time God promises to make Abraham a great nation. That it would be great in power, but also great in number. He reaffirms that promise in Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 17, where he at one point says to Abraham, hey, a son will be born to you. Look, look at the stars. Count them if you can. Your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But here's the problem. We get to Genesis chapter 18, no son, no heir. Oh, and it's been 24 years since Genesis chapter 12, since God made his first promise. And not only that, Sarah's 89 years old. And so you can maybe understand a little more her reaction, like, wait a second, when I'm worn out and my old man is really an old man, because he was 10 years her senior, but it's been 24 years of longing, of hoping, of waiting. And you can imagine, I think, probably the first couple of years 
right? The eager anticipation when you know something good is coming. It's like Christmas morning is almost here. And so you can imagine, yes, this excitement that's coming along with it, but then the years start to pass. One after another after another and no longer waking up each day with this eager anticipation in an effort to probably protect yourself. The way we protect ourselves, we shift our expectations, don't we? We adjust what we hope for because we don't want to be disappointed in the midst of the uncertainty. And in the middle of those 24 years, they got desperate. You actually could go back and you can read how Sarah gave Abraham her servant to be his wife, thinking that she's going to get for herself a son through her servant. And God did, in fact, give a son that way. But he said about this son, yeah, I, I care about this son. I will bless this son, but this isn't the one I promised. This isn't the son that you're going to see all of these things happen through. He tells them, basically, you got you to believe me. This is a call to faith, to trust deeply, and not just faith kind of in general, right, like faith in God, but faith in this God who wants a relationship with them, faith in this God, the living God, who is demanding their trust with all of their lives, to trust him with their longings, their dreams, their hopes, their hurts. See, faith in general is common to all humanity. Rupert uh, Sheldrake wrote a book called Morphic Resonance, and he wrote about a famous ethnobotanist named Terence McKenna. And Ter he said this, as Terence McKenna observed, modern science is based on the principle, give us one free miracle and we'll explain the rest. And he goes on to say, the one free miracle is the appearance of all the mass and energy in the universe and the laws that govern it in a single instance from nothing. See, at the heart of even the scientific modern scientific endeavor is this question. What about life? Why not not life? Like, how is it that out of this thing that is called antimatter, which by definition is not matter, did all of this matter come? Well, just give us one free miracle, and we'll explain the rest. Just put your faith in this one thing and we'll, we'll tell you how the rest of it works. That's faith in general. And every person walking the face of the earth has faith in something. But the story of Abraham and Sarah, the story of God in history and in our lives, is not about faith in general. In one miracle, then everything else will make sense. It is a faith in a relationship with a living God. And so the question is, will you trust that God not the God of our creation and imagination. Will you trust that God with the details of your life? Will you trust him in the uncertainty? And faced with that question, Sarah responds how? She laughs. Why is she laughing? Well, because this seems ridiculous. Let's all just be really honest about it, right? She's 89. The text says she's well past childbearing years. And now she's supposed to believe that in the next year, everything that she had been longing for and hoping for is just going to suddenly happen. <laughs> right. See, it defies her understanding, just like it defies ours. It doesn't fit neatly into the boxes and categories of how life is supposed to work. 
Like, she could have seen it happening when she was a younger woman, but now? Yeah, no. God is asking her to put faith in him, to trust him in the midst of the uncertainty with something that she doesn't understand and that seems crazy. I think this happens in our own lives. But if you think about the things that you long for, the things that you're most concerned about, do you have a solution? Right? Do, you, do you have the answer to how to make things certain again? I, I usually do, if I'm honest, right? And my solution usually makes a lot of sense to me. And this is what Abraham and Sarah were trying to do before, right? It made sense. Oh, God's not giving me a son naturally. Okay, here's what we'll do. We'll get the servant, and she'll give birth to the son, and that'll be our son for us, right? That makes sense to me. But God's like, yeah, nice thought, but no. You know, I, I've got this. Oh, yeah, and you will be well past childbearing years. See, sometimes faith requires us to actually give up our sense of understanding. Sometimes if we want certainty in the midst of the uncertainty of the world, then we have to stop relying on our own ability to create that certainty. And this challenges me. Because I like to understand how things work. And I like to believe that I can make a plan to make the next thing work out. But when God says, no, no, I'm not going to do it your way on your timeline. I'm going to do it my way. That creates a moment of crisis. Because that's the moment where I have to give up my sense of control and competence and understanding of the world. And instead to trust him. See, if we want certainty in life, though, this is how it's going to happen. Because my belief that I know how to solve the problems and fix it is actually a false belief. It will only breed more and more uncertainty because I will carry more and more responsibility for my life and for the world, but it's a responsibility that I don't actually have the perspective or the wisdom to be sure and certain that my decisions are going to create a path that's going to work out for myself and others. Think about it this way. If you suddenly got promoted like multiple, multiple levels up in your company to a level that you don't really actually understand how things work, or if suddenly you were given the job of air traffic controller at Newark Airport. Ready, go. How are you gonna feel about that? You're clueless about how to do it, but you have all the responsibility to get it done. But this is what we do with our own lives. We promote ourselves and promote ourselves and I promote myself to the level of God. <laughs> but I don't have the experience, the expertise, the perspective, to really manage it all? It's not going to bring me more certainty. It's going to bring me uncertainty. And God's like, yep, that's right. But he also says, but I can do it. That's what he said to Sarah. Is anything too hard for the Lord? See, a lot of people struggle with faith because the supernatural defies our ability to comprehend by definition. But God is reminding Nothing is too hard for me. So the question isn't, is he able? Can he? The question is, will he? Isn't it? Will he show up? Can we trust him 
to show up and do it. I think one of the reasons we struggle and doubt that God will do it is because sometimes we're trusting Him for things that He didn't really actually promise us. Like, God, I am really trusting you that you're going to give me this Porsche. No, 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 I really am trusting you. I have faith. You're going to make it happen in my life. But God's kind of like, but, but I didn't promise you that. Oh, but I really trust you. Yeah, that's fine. Can I do it? Sure. But I didn't promise to do it. And if we're honest about it, it's not usually about a Porsche, but it's something else in our life when we approach God like entitled children, demanding what we want to make life the way we want it. And unfortunately, there's whole streams of supposedly Christian faith that are promoting this type of idea, that if you trust enough, if you believe enough, if you surrender enough, oh yeah, and if you send your monthly check enough, well then God will bless you. He will bless you with all sorts of things. You'll get what you want. Inevitably, a lot of it ends lean toward, leaning toward material prosperity or relational security or ease or comfort, something temporary for this world, something that God didn't really promise. Is anything too hard for the Lord? <laughs> Can we be certain that he's going to come through for us? Well, yes and no. No if it's our agenda, if it's what we want, because God doesn't operate on our agenda. And man, that's good news. Because that problem of my limited perspective about the ramifications of my longings and my plans and my solutions, God isn't limited the way I'm limited. He doesn't have that problem. He knows and he can see it all. He knows, hey, if I give you a Porsche, here's the thing, I know you. <laughs> and I know you're going to not always be exactly super responsible with that. And it's not going to work out. I know that if I give you the easy way out, you're not going to really learn. You're not going to change. I know what's really best for you. No, he won't come through for me how and when I want. But yes, we can trust that God will come through for us in everything he promises us, if it's his promise. So what did God promise? For Abraham and Sarah, he promised that in the next year they'd have a son. What did God promise you? What has God promised to the world? Do you know the promises of God? Because it seems like it would be helpful. Right? If we want to know how to be certain in the midst of an uncertain world, and if the promises of God are what are certain, that it would probably be helpful for us to know what those promises are, are so that we can be certain. And this is one of the many reasons, one of the many reasons that we encourage and invite you to come back to the Bible, not just on the weekend, but every day, and to read it, not because you're supposed to, and that if you read it, you're a good person, and if you don't, you're a bad person, but because contained in the Bible are the promises of God for you, for humanity, for creation, for everything. His promises are laid out for you in the words of the Bible. And so know them, learn them so that you can cherish them, possess them so that you can have certainty. Because here, you can be certain 
from the promises of God because he's promised you that there is, in fact, reconciliation with God, that there is forgiveness no matter how bad you have been or how far you have run, that there is, in fact, healing, and it will be complete, and it will be beautiful, and you will be whole on his timeline. He promises blessing. He promises comfort. He promises joy. He promises peace. He promises meaning and satisfaction. He promises he will never leave you or forsake you. He promises that you are a precious and beloved child of his through Jesus Christ, that he has incorporated you into his loving family, and so you will always have those around you that you can count on. He has promised you comfort when you grieve, when you hurt, in your loss, in your heartache. He has promised you this and so much more. <laughs> Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Will you trust him? Will you trust this God who makes these promises to you? Will you trust that he'll keep the promises in the midst of uncertainty? Well, I know we're used to, to overpromise and underdeliver. It's what advertising is built on. So many promises in our lives, so many self-help opportunities, so many things that if you do this, it's gonna work out, it's gonna become great. Here's the way to make your life actually happen. <laughs> but we know it doesn't happen. The poet, poet Robert Burns is credited with saying, there's no such uncertainty as a sure thing. There's no such uncertainty as a sure thing. And we know that. We feel that. If it's too good to be true, it must be too good. And see, this is where Paul comes in. Because we start getting these doubts and we start feeling like, I'm not worthy of these promises and I don't really understand how it's all going to happen. And Paul says, yeah, but don't worry about it because the same God who made promises to Abraham and Sarah and kept them is the same God who has made promises to humanity, has made promises to you throughout the whole of the Bible. And he says, all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. Which, which means we may waffle, we may doubt, we may be unworthy, we may, like Sarah, even lie about our doubt, whatever it is, but that's not what makes us worthy of the promises. That's not what makes them certain or sure in our life. We can be certain about all of the promises of God because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of those promises, but also because he is the certainty and assurance that God will keep all of the promises he has made. If this God who sent his true son to live and to suffer and to die brutally on a cross, to take on our sin and our shame and our forsakenness, to take on sin and hell itself, if God would not withhold his son from that, will he not also do all things for you? Will he not also fulfill the rest of the promises that he has made? If you are finding yourself doubting and wondering and uncertain in the midst of the world, look to the cross. The cross is your certainty. The cross is your guarantee that all of the promises that God has made, he will keep for you. From like 1892, when Abercrombie and Fitch was first founded, to the 1990s, it actually sold sporting goods and outdoor apparel. I didn't know that. You may have known that. But there's this story uh, that Lloyd Corey adapted. It was originally found in the New Yorker magazine, and he said it's a story about a Long Island resident 
who ordered an extremely sensitive barometer from Abercrombie & Fitch. And Aber a barometer is the thing that measures air pressure, right? Atmospheric pressure, and it's used to, to help indicate what weather is coming. So he bought this barometer, and when it arrived at his house, he was incredibly disappointed because he discovered that the indicating needle on the barometer seemed to be stuck pointing at the space that was marked hurricane. And he tried shaking it, and he's like, this thing is broken, and he's angry. And so he writes this scathing letter that the next morning, on his way to work in the city, he decides to mail. Well, that evening, he returned to Long Island to find that not only was his barometer missing, but so was his entire house. Because the needle on the barometer had been correct. It was September 21st, 1938, what became known as the Great New England Hurricane. Made landfall, traveling 47 miles per hour destroyed approximately 8,900 buildings, 2 billion trees, caused $620 million worth of damage in 1938 dollars. That's 13.5 billion or so in today dollars. He didn't, he didn't trust the barometer, but if he had trusted, the barometer was promising what was going to come next. But he didn't trust that that was going to happen, and so instead he got angry because he didn't understand it. But if he had trusted that it was in fact telling him what was going to come, he would have had a certainty in the midst of everybody else's uncertainty. And he probably wouldn't have been able to save his house, but he might have been able to change some of the things that he did. He might have been able to change some of what he was able to save and salvage from his life. But he didn't believe that it was telling him the truth. He didn't believe the promise that it was making. See, if we want certainty in the midst of all of the uncertainty in the world, and we want to know how to navigate through it all, you can have a sure and certain foundation in the promises that God has made that are guaranteed for you because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Hold fast to your faith in him, because he will be that foundation in the midst of all of the uncertainty. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. That though we see in ourselves plenty of doubt, plenty of waffling, plenty of desire to be in control and to understand that you are faithful, you are good, you are present, you are patient, and you invite us to continue to turn by faith to you, and you demonstrate your faithfulness and the certainty of your promises through the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, deepen, widen, strengthen our faith in Jesus' name. Amen.